Let's pray together. Father, as we come to the time in our service when we dig into your word, there has been so much ministry that's already happened here this morning. You, I believe, have already accomplished many things within your divine will and purpose, ministering to the hearts of your people as we have gathered. We're so grateful for the freedom that we have to come to share in this time without a fear of persecution. But may we cherish that, Father. May we cherish it because it is so fragile. So fragile. But the liberty and the freedom that we have in you is secured. It is eternal. And that's what we're here to celebrate. We pray for these families that are hurting. We pray for them, Father, that you would wrap them up in your love. That they would know a measure of your mercy and your grace that they never thought possible. And thank you for this church. Father, what a beautiful, beautiful body you have created here. And the love, the compassion, and the willingness to serve and give. You have created a wonderful church, Father, a beautiful part of the bride within these walls. And I thank you that I have the privilege of being their pastor. To you goes all glory, honor, and praise because you alone are worthy and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. One news item of significance. How many, and I, I, I don't want to embarrass you or anybody, but, but please read Christian news. Please find good, solid Christian news organizations to keep up with what's going on. Have you been reading about the Asbury Revival? Folks, God is moving. God is moving in this country. And, and, and I want to just share this. I know we're consuming time, but please, I believe it's so important. We are actually, according to this writing, we are actually witnessing a full-blown revival right here in the United States. For more than a week, there has been nonstop prayer and worship awakening happening at Asbury University in Kentucky. Day and night, thousands of young people are gathered in a chapel to worship God, repent of their sins, and read from the scripture and pray. And they go on to talk about the authenticity of this revival. There's no show. There's no fireworks. There's just people coming and falling before God in repentance and prayer. That's revival. And the people at Asbury are so guarded and so protected, they have not allowed anyone in that might disrupt the revival that are coming for show or personal pleasure. There is no special person on the podium. There's just people coming, and they were backed up for almost a half a mile going around the campus waiting to get into the worship service. Folks, this is revival and it's spread down into Tennessee and parts, Lee University and other colleges, all the way to Alabama, Alabama, <laughs> and, and Georgia. God's moving. 
God's moving. And that's what revival looks like, folks. When God's people are willing to recognize their desperate need for him and fall before him in total humility and repent and confess and experience the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So I share that with you. I do not know what God's plan for America is. Ultimately, I know there's no place in prophecy that allots for a special nation called America, but every single citizen is important to God. (laughs) Every person. And he is moving. We are continuing in our study in the Psalms of Ascent. The message series could be called Stepping Stones to the Heart of God. These psalms trace the upward ascent of our hearts. See, it's more than a physical journey. It's it's a spiritual journey, and that's what this is all about. That's what this series is all about, is drawing near to the heart of God. We have seen where they operate in groups of three, with one psalm beginning with trouble, the next psalm moving to trust, and the final of 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 the triad is triumph. In other words, it's not just all, 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 all the way, all the time. It's phases. It's called life. Life where we go through the valleys and we rise to the mountaintops and we ascend the slopes, the ups and downs. But the point of the psalm, God is always there. He's always there. Psalm 126 is a, is a psalm, a song that looks back to when the captives are returning to Jerusalem following a long exile in a foreign land in Babylon. They had suffered so much and, and had suddenly found themselves back in Jerusalem, back in the beloved city of God. When you're going through time of sorrow, Psalm 126 is a good medicine to take. It carries a powerful message of hope. When you're waking up in the morning in tears and you go to bed in the evening with tears and the valley seems so deep, so low, so dark, you cannot seem to see your way forward and you begin to question and you begin to to feel like you're losing hope and you ask the question, is this all that God has for me? Will I ever be happy again? And the answer is yes. Yes. There's joy come morning. Let's stand as we read the 126th Psalm. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad Restore, the fortune, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams of the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. May I read it again? Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. 
He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. By the power of your spirit, impart, impute these truths into our hearts and our lives. Father, not just, we don't read this just for the acquisition of knowledge. We read because the word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, we know that our lives can be transformed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to jump right to something. I was going to end with it, but I want to begin with it. And this will test the age of much of our congregation. If you remember a hymn, do you remember a hymn called Bringing in the Sheaves? By God, there's a bunch of old folk out there. Now you know where it came from. Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the noontide and in the dewy eve, waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. You remember that one, Stan? It's a good one. It is a good one. Sowing in the sunshine, sowing in the shadows, fearing neither clouds nor winter's chilly breeze, by and by the harvest and the labor ended, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, going forth with weeping, sowing for the master. Though the loss sustained, our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, he will bid us welcome. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Amen. Amen. We have just been introduced to a psalm of praise, the first point of our consideration. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. We are celebrating deliverance. And I could paraphrase this, verse 1, pinch me, I must be dreaming. And that's what the people were saying. We were once in captivity. We were once held captive in a foreign land, far from our home, far from our God. And now all of a sudden I'm here. Wake me up. I must be dreaming. That's how God delivers his people. You remember Peter in Acts chapter 12, he was having a dream too. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And listen to it here. He did not know what was being done by the angel, but thought he was just seeing a vision. Peter said, pinch me, wake me up. I must be dreaming. And you remember when he gets to the house, they, they're not expecting, although they're praying for him to be released, they didn't even let him in. You know, they were praying. God answered their prayer and says, uh-uh, I ain't answering that door. But yeah, be ready. God may just answer your prayer. Be ready. The Jewish people had experienced 70 years of exile. They were ripped from their homes, their land. They had absolutely, completely lost 
everything, everything taken into a foreign land, held by a hostile enemy, ripped away. Some, many, many would have been born while in exile and they would have never had experienced the promised land, the, the, the Jerusalem. And so you have this picture of people coming home. They're celebrating deliverance, folks. We need to celebrate deliverance. God has done great things. Everybody say it together. God has done great things. And I pray that that is a personal proclamation. God has done great things in my life. They were also expressing delight. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, do not live in the past and do not be held captive by the past. But remembering the past will only magnify the grace and the mercy of the God who brought you out of it. These people were reflecting on an amazing God that had done great things in their past. It's too good to be true. They were filled with joy, laughter, and shouts of joy. Why can't we have more church services like that? Laughter and shouts of joy. This is the people of God. We've been delivered. We've been delivered. They could not be restrained because, again I quote, the Lord has done great things. Why so prim and proper has possibly the church in so many ways become? But before we can understand their laughter and the joy, we must first understand their sorrow. I want to read another psalm. and I want, it, it is a painful picture. It is painful. And I want you to listen very carefully to these words. From the time of captivity in Babylon, these are the words we read from Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there were hung up, there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required us of songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, do you hear the lament? These people are broken. They're crushed, and their tormentors were, were doing just that. They were saying, okay, sing your songs. Sing your songs. Let's, let's see that, 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 that jubilation while we got you in captivity. I've already hung up my instrument. See, it's over there on the tree limb. All I can do is weep. Because I want to go home. I want to go home. Well, now they're home. That's what this Psalm 126 is all about. Now they're home. The tormentors demanded songs of joy, but they sat by the waters in Babylon and wept. How can you sing when you're held captive in a foreign land? And now an amazing work of God. They were suddenly back in Zion. We have been delivered. We're going to celebrate with delight and we're going to make a decision. We're going to make a decision. The Lord is great th- has done great things, 
and we are glad. Folks, that's a decision. I don't want you to miss that. That's a decision. Sometimes we are faced with a choice, sadness or gladness. We're faced with a choice. And we can either be overwhelmed by the sadness or we can surrender to the gladness. And remember that God has done great things and I think he can do it again. Do it again. I'm telling you, and I, and I don't want to be unfair with clinical issues or medical issues. Please understand, I am very compassionate towards that. With things like depression and those other things that can affect our lives and has profoundly affected mine over the years. But I have also discovered that many times sadness is a choice. It's a choice, and i got to start choosing gladness over sadness. i got to make a choice. And it's not easy. It's not always easy. It's not like flipping a switch. But I can trust God to bring it to me. I can trust him to bring it to me. So they made a decision. We're not going to remain captive now that we're in Jerusalem. Do you see it? Many people have walked out of captivity, walked out, been delivered, entered the promised land, and they're still being held captive by their captors. They've never gotten free. Folks, celebrate. Celebrate. Make a decision. I will not live in the past. I will not let the past define who I am. I am free. I am free. Jesus said to the Jews that have believed in him, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, but they are right now. You see, they're saying, I've never been enslaved to anyone. That's an enslaved person saying that. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. If the son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Celebrate. Celebrate. Peter writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here it comes. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Amen. Peter says you're going you're gonna to have a traverse of this life. It's going to be up. It's going to be down. There will be trials. There will be victories. There will be sadness. There will be sorrow. There will be always joy. Always joy. Point number two. Woo. It's a psalm of prayer. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of Negev. Restore our fortunes. Lord, the enemy stole so much from me. The enemy stole so much from me. I'm not going to let him have any more. But I need to be restored. 
We're not talking about silver and gold here, folks. We're not talking about material goods. We're talking about life. Life. So much was lost, but I believe you can restore. I believe you can multiply. Quit letting the enemy steal your life. Quit letting him do that. Say no. No, God is my keeper. Christ is my guardian. Don't let the devil have your joy. Don't let him have your life. You belong to Jesus. If you're here and you are in a personal relationship with Christ, you belong to him. He owns you lock, stock, and barrel. Don't let the devil steal. Don't let him do it. Renew our land. The rivers in southern Israel should shrink and many streams would dry up. But the winter and spring rains would fill them to overflowing. The Negev would be a fertile land again. And I ask the question, have you ever been in a dry season? Have you ever lived in a thirsty land? Cry out to the Lord and get drenched. Get drenched with a flood of his love and mercy and grace. As these pilgrims ponder their past, as they deliberate their deliverance, they also lift their voices in prayer. They pray, that, they pray that the spring rains would fill those southern streams with floods of water, that God would also deliver the others from their captivity and restore them to the homeland. Listen, this is a burden to see others delivered. Do you see what's in this prayer? These Jews have a burden for the deliverance of those in captivity. Hello, church. Do we have that burden? For those who are in captivity right now, held captive by sin and death, Christ wants them to be free. He wants them to be free. The Jewish people had seen God do mighty works, and they were praying that he will do it again. In Joel chapter 2, it says, I will restore you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You hear what God's going to do? He's going to restore the last years. Now, folks, that doesn't mean you get to live them over again. Okay? It just means that you have a new life to live now. And it's way better than the old one anyway. Way better. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Jeremiah writes in the Lamentations. And if you think this is the end of it, you're wrong. They're also looking forward to a greater day. And these words from Isaiah 35, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for the waters break forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. You see, you see Isaiah tying right in with Psalm 126. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water in the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes and the highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransomed of the Lord shall 
return and come to Zion with singing everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. Amen. John the Baptist came, said, prepare the way of the Lord. You just read what would happen when he got there. You see, I got to tell you something, folks, and I hope you realize it. This thing's all connected. It's all connected. There's no gaps. There's Genesis to Revelation, and it's one continuous story. Unfortunately, we have this break in here called Old Testament, New Testament, and and yeah, there was about 400 silent years between the writing, but that's where God, God was still working even during that time. This is one story, one story. A psalm of promise. Let's get to the end. A psalm of promise. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. We may have to sing that song out of poetry form and into song form. Celebrate what God has done. See what God is doing. Long for what God will do. And there's three things I want us to look at very quickly in closing. First, there's the task of the sower. The task of the sower. It seems to be a, a, almost a change in direction here, but, but it really isn't. We're, we're continuing this thought that was previously established. When the people returned to their homeland, they found it decimated. It was totally destroyed. The fields were fallow and there was no harvest, no food to eat. And they had a few precious seeds, a few precious seeds to start over with. Taking these few seeds, they involved themselves in the back-breaking work of sowing the fields. They took those few seeds and watering them with tears, put them in the earth. Folks, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's people experiencing restoration and renewal. With faith and patience, they waited. Ah, there's always a time of waiting, isn't there? Charles, normally when you put corn seed in the ground, it's not up by the time you get home, is it? Okay, yeah, it takes a little while, doesn't it? But when you put that seed in the ground, you know one thing. There's life in the seed. There's life in the seed. That's what God is telling us. Put the seed in the ground. Water it with your tears. And wait. Because harvest is coming. Harvest is coming. This speaks volumes to the saints of our Lord. We have been delivered from our sins, saved by the grace of God, and we should be moved by burden to see others experience what we have been given. We are to take what we have, the gospel message, the seed of the word of God, and we are to go into a lost world and sow it for the glory of God, weeping along the way. And then we're going to watch those few seeds turn into a mighty harvest for the glory of God. The sower is to go and sow. Go and sow. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The task of the sower is to go sow. The tears of the sower is the burden for the harvest of life. A burden for the harvest of life. The sower wants to see a harvest and multiplication of the seed. We take the lost around us way too lightly. I want to ask you a question this morning and you answer it in the privacy of your own heart. Do you really believe there is a place called hell? Do you really believe that? And if you do, do you care about those who are destined for that place? Because they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Have you lost your burden for the lost? Jesus has not. He has not. There's two people that care about those who are going to hell. Jesus and the devil. Jesus don't want them to and Satan does. They care very deeply. Are you willing to pray to weep over those still in captivity and plant seeds of righteousness? Lastly, the triumph of the sower. The sower returns rejoicing. He went out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. He came home with shouts of joy, bringing home the sheaves bringing home the sheaves. The sower went to the fields, he worked and he sowed, and now he returns with rejoicing, bearing in his arms the fruit of his labor. He has a great harvest to show for the investment of his time and his tears. Folks, are we willing to invest our tears for the glory of God. When the tomb of Egyptian King Pharaoh Tutankhamun was discovered, among the many treasures in the tomb were some seeds that were over 3,000 years old. Scientists took some of those seeds and planted them, and they germinated, and they grew into great plants. No wonder the word of God is compared to a seed. This author says, there's power in the blood. There's also power in the book. A sowing saint with an investment of tears will reap a harvest of joy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for everything that's been accomplished today. Praying that you will receive all glory, honor, and praise because you alone are worthy. As we have proclaimed the word, Father, we're trusting the Holy Spirit to move amongst us. To bring conviction to our hearts where conviction is necessary. To bring hope to our hearts where despair has entered. To bring joy to our hearts where sadness has invaded. So, Father, I pray that in this moment, according to your perfect will and perfect timing, but I don't hesitate to ask, 
It'd be a good time for revival. It'd be a good time to revival. But the question remains, are we willing to invest our tears so that revival may come? In Jesus' name.